morning, everyone. Today is one of the more challenging gospels that we encounter, primarily because it deals with a topic that people don't, and even especially Christians these days, don't like to discuss, that of fraternal correction, the responsibility, the obligation we have, in charity, of course, to speak out to our brothers and sisters in Christ when they are wrong, when they are out of line, when they are not living in accord with the gospel. We're not nitpicking here, we're not judging, and we're going to use prudence to decide when it is proper to do this, but it is a part and parcel of living an adequate Christian life. But if you pay attention to the scripture, it sort of implies, or our Lord implies, a conversation that if one Christian sees another living uh, outside of the realm of Christian behavior, if they've done something against them, that you should confront them, to talk to them, speak to them, at least on the side. And then, of course, if they don't listen, the conversation will continue with different interlocutors. But the hope is that this conversation, this dialogue, this fraternal correction will lead to a deeper conversion. Repentance from sin, apologizing for what was done, and possibly this deeper conversion in Christ and a greater conformity to his will. But as I was preparing for today's homily, I thought that as effective as words might be in calling someone to conversion, calling someone to changing their life and repenting, how much more effective are deeds? Just not deeds, but also quite possibly a very way of life or mode of existence. We've all heard it said that actions speak louder than words. In the way that someone lives, it is possible to speak to the heart, to touch the conscience, to lead others to repentance and a deeper conversion. Sometimes that example, sometimes that witness or behavior is much more powerful than any word because indeed it speaks to the heart more than it does to the intellect. Uh, our Holy Father, Pope Emeritus, Pope Benedict, actually writing before he became Pope, talks about this. We know that he was a great believer and is a great believer in truth and logic and reason and apologetics. But he admits for modern man, it simply doesn't work. So often what works is not the logical appeal to the faith, but instead a deeper appeal to the heart. And he says the greatest examples, the greatest apologists for the faith today are beauty and holiness. The lives are the examples of the saints. Not so much what they say, but what they do. And I think we can see some evidence of this in our own times. Think of the people whose lives were changed by the witness of John Paul II. St. John Paul II and his courage and his willingness to stand up for the dignity of the human person in the face of the threat of atheistic communism. It was that great witness, that fortitude that touched so many people's lives and led them to stand up for what they believe, led to a deeper conversion. And of course, I'm sure we can all agree the witness of Mother Teresa, more than anything she said, touched people's lives and hearts. 
her charity, her love for the poor, her willingness to reach out to those in need. People all over the world saw this and came to a deeper conversion, a deeper belief in Jesus Christ. So what word or deed or style of life might be the most effective in bringing about a conversion, repentance, a seeking of forgiveness in our world today? Indeed, we can look at the different spiritual malaises that we suffer from, but most will agree that at least the most evident is the fact that we as a culture live in a world of pervasive eroticism where we use sex and sexuality to sell as a commodity, where the flesh is not seen as something to be reverenced, but something to be used for our own particular pleasure and enjoyment, running radically contradictory to the example of self-control, the dignity of the body and the human person that we as Christians and Catholics believe is central to the teaching of Jesus And so how can we adequately speak the word of what we believe about the theology of the body, about the meaning of the sexes, about that self-control and reverence that we should have for our sexuality? Again, John Paul II's theology of the body is important and effective. We can give all kinds of arguments and even build people up who don't want to do evil but find that struggle in the flesh just too overwhelming. I think more than any word that could be said, the most profound witness, the most profound call to conversion is in the witness of chastity, of individuals making the commitment to live in self-control, to love each other in chastity. Not just priests and religious, but this is something we are all called to. That control of the body, that reverence for our sexuality. And so whatever state of life we live in, that we give witness that purity of heart is possible. That we can love with pure intentions. We can keep a pure mind and a pure heart and not give over to the sins of the flesh. Indeed, we may fall and seek reconciliation, but particularly as Christians, there's certain ways we simply don't live. There's certain behaviors and lifestyles that simply do not come in accord with what we as Christians believe in. And we can call people to conversion like John the Baptist, but not that we disregard that, we still need that teaching, but the more effective witness is often the reverence and the self-control that we as Christians exhibit in our love. But even more than the simple display of chastity, very powerful in calling people to conversion and that change of mind and heart, is the example of celibacy. Men and women feel the call to give up the good of marriage for the sake of the kingdom. Individuals who could have been, would have wanted to be married and had a family. They choose, as priests or religious often, to give up that thing, not because it's bad, but because it is good to redirect their intentions to live for the kingdom of heaven. To show that there's something beyond this world. 
in a world that is so saturated by eroticism, in one that can't conceive of the sacred or anything beyond this material realm, it is a jarring witness that can make people say, you know what, maybe there is something beyond bodily pleasure. Maybe I should change the way that I think or the way that I act. That's why the witness of celibate love is so crucial to our world. But there's a third thing, a third style of living, a third witness and action more than word that speaks more profoundly, I believe, than any of the things we've mentioned so far. As important as chastity is, as important as celibacy is, there's one thing that the world does not understand, and to a great degree, Christians and Catholics have fallen prey to the world to ridicule this thing that is so integral to the life of Christ, the life of Scripture that is portrayed there, but also the life of Christians in the early church. And that is the witness of virginity. Virginal chaste love. Where a woman chooses to maintain her bodily integrity and offer it as a gift to Christ. To offer it as a sacrifice united with the Eucharist or to offer it in a spousal manner to sort of in the mystical sense wed Jesus as the bridegroom. We see virginity as something which is touted in scripture and in the early church it was something that was very, very important. That virginal witness of the purity of bodily integrity speaks louder than any word, any homily about the need for chastity or about the need for purity, particularly in our world today. And the Lord, I think, knows this. And therefore, we've seen a resurgence in our world, particularly in the West, not only of priestly vocations and religious vocations, but of a vocation that was very predominant in the early church. And that is the vocation of consecrated virginity. It's something most people simply haven't heard of. It's more foreign than even a religious sister. And these are women who make the choice, feel the call of the invitation to consecrate their virginity, their bodily integrity to Christ in a spousal manner, in a sacrificial manner, connected to their love for the Eucharist. But not living in a convent, not living in a cloister, but living in the midst of the world. They make that consecration of their virginity, the hands of the bishop, but they choose to live in the world, a consecrated existence in the secular world. They may teach, they may work with athletics, they may be lawyers, doctors, uh, personal assistants, secretaries, whatever it is, but in the world, their virginity speaks a very powerful message of conversion, of the truth of the gospel, of purity breaking into our world. It's different than the sister. It's not the same. Because as being a religious sister, you do not necessarily need to have maintained your bodily integrity. But to be a consecrated version, this is essential. We consecrate that integrity to Christ in a sacrificial manner. To be that witness to the world, to pray, to suffer, to sacrifice, to preach that gospel, giving our desires to Jesus. 
And so, as I said, we've seen sort of a resurgence of this call. There are many young women throughout the world today responding to that call. And it's challenging because you don't have the support of a religious community. Most lay Catholics have never heard of this. Most bishops and priests simply do not understand the nature. We in our diocese have been very blessed that we have had several women feel that call. And in fact, today at this Mass, as I alluded, one young woman who is an alumnae of the UL, the Raging Cajun Catholics, Ms. Caitlin Davis, will take her sort of first official step towards consecrated virginity. Caitlin was a student here, now she's working as an athletic trainer at a local school, but she has been working with her formator and today will take a private vow of virginity. Even though she's doing it in a public forum, it is something private for three years to maintain her virginity in preparation for that final consecration will come several years down the road. And so I can testify, as I'm sure a lot of people here who have come, not just for Mass, but because they know Caitlin, can testify to the impact she has had on their lives. Her purity, her simplicity, her joy, her love for Jesus. She's had a big impact on the Raging Cajun Catholics community, on a lot of the graduates, the present students, and myself indeed. A call to see that witness to a deeper conversion, a greater love for Jesus, a greater willingness to sacrifice. Even though she's not officially a consecrated virgin yet, the way she is living is already speaking volumes, much more than any homily I ever could give could do. And it's something that we as Christians and Catholics need to hear, need to listen to. Not only the profound witness that she will give today after this homily by making that private vow of virginity, but throughout her life and the way it can touch us in seeing that witness of virginity in the world. It's something the church needs. It's something the culture needs. A deeper understanding of the dignity of the body, of a life offered and sacrificed to Jesus of the beauty of human love and a world that is so, so broken, so in need of the witness of Christ, so in need of the witness and the healing power of that pure, virginal love to act as that conduit of grace where Christ can touch minds and hearts, lead to a deeper conversion and that deeper chaste commitment to Him. Amen.